alcohol is what cigarettes was to our generation. I'm Tamina, and I'm extending a heartfelt invitation to you as we join forces in reclaiming economic power for women in a world that is often structured against us. We'll dive into the minds of accomplished female leaders, investors, and entrepreneurs to equip you with the confidence and knowledge to build wealth for yourself and other women. So buckle up, get ready to learn, and be inspired to take action. Hello, hello, everyone. It's good to have you back. This week, I have the pleasure of talking to someone (laughs) whose energy I was really, really feeling when we met for the first time at a women's entrepreneurship event last fall. Shout out to dreamers and doers. Ashwarya Balaji is a serial Silicon Valley entrepreneur, TEDx and global speaker and investor who focuses on identifying tech and consumer trends early. She is also, which I love, the CEO and co-founder of A Fresh Sip, an alcohol-free beverage platform that makes it easy to discover and buy the best non-alcoholic spirits, wines, and functional beverages. Prior to this, Aish has been an angel investor for 37 angels and next-gen venture partners and a mentor for tech stars, MIT Launch, and Startup India. She previously built a wellness startup called Bystander, a platform that simplified wellness navigation and information discovery. And prior to that, she launched Impact Chain Lab, a blockchain innovation lab focused on global development. Aisha has also spent time as a global consultant for PwC, working with Fortune 500 clients on technology and security in the consumer product space. She's given a TEDx talk and spoken around the world, including at Harvard, Stanford, and India and Morocco on topics relating to healthy entrepreneurship, venture capital, emerging technology, and breaking stigmas around building businesses. What a resume, Aish. I am so excited we get to sit down to have this conversation. Welcome to Give Our Dollars. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here and chat with you. It's been too long since we got to see each other. So even this virtual connection feels so good. Oh, likewise. We love technology and what it enables us to do in terms of maintaining relationships all over. So uh, we're just talking offline about the fact that we need to grab coffee or lunch next time you're you're in New York. So we definitely need to make that happen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, look, Aish, this, this podcast, as, as you probably know by now, is all about helping women build wealth for themselves and other women. And increasing women's visibility is absolutely critical when it comes to wealth building because we need to, to provide women with more opportunities to, to, to showcase their work, right, and get paid for it. So I always start out by asking my guests this question first. Who is a woman that you admire and why? So I love this question. There's so many incredible women in this world accomplishing so many different things. And I think that I look up to different people for different reasons. And one of the cornerstones of my life is very much living a very intuitive and balanced life. And so somebody that I think has done an incredible job with that has been Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. She obviously has built an incredible empire, but she's also done it in a very thoughtful way where she puts her employees first. And even if you follow her on social or you see how she lives her life, she's such a great mom, such a great wife. And her entire way of living, I think, is something that is very admirable. I think it's very difficult to do that when you're at the level that she is. But there are so many key pieces 
ways that she anchors herself that I, I think is just so incredible. So I would definitely say she has been someone that I, I have looked up to for a long time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wonderful example. And I think, you know, in the past, we we're always so focused on hustle, hustle, hustle. But I'm so glad that that is not really part of the narrative anymore. And I think that's actually mm-hmm. one of the very few positive outcomes of the pandemic that we're a lot more mindful about our own well-being, both physical and and mental, and setting boundaries. Aish, this question that I have for you next is a bit different from other questions I've asked my guests before because we just heard it in the intro. You have such a diverse set of experience across different industries, companies, and different stages. So it sounds like as if you're someone who truly, truly thrives on uncertainty and kind of like just like bringing structure to to all the chaos right and that really resonates with me because i feel like i'm also constantly all over the place you know there's just so many opportunities out there so it's difficult to to say no and there's so much to learn and absorb so curious to hear from you what what does an ideal day in your life as a multi-passionate entrepreneur look like oh So many ways to answer this question. And I think even before I jump into today, just to kind of give you context of why I've jumped to so many different things. And thank you for providing such an incredible intro. But yeah, I have been in so many different industries, right? The non-elk beverage space, investing, blockchain, creator economy. There's so many different aspects that I've been a part of. And what I realized for me is that taking something from zero to one is super, super exciting, but also solving people's problems. And um, I, over the last five years, and I've gotten more clarity here, but I'm saying my secret sauce, if you may, is actually identifying trends before they go mainstream. Now, sometimes I feel like I do that too early and that can be a problem too. But um, I think getting excited and seeing what people are looking for, what the next generation wants is, is super, super powerful. And so um, that's what sparks my joy. And so the way in which I choose what I spend my time in is a very much like a internally identity driven kind of way and approach. If I think that this is something that a lot of people can benefit from and something I can benefit from, if I really see that intuitively, then I generally will like put my analytical hat on and want to dive into it a bit more. But coming down to like the real tax, like the, the day-to-day stuff, it's it's quite different, right? I think when you're focused on one startup, all you're doing is that you have, especially if you have a team, if you have a team, you have meetings, you have everything very much structured and scheduled. I had a very regimented uh, schedule, um, I would say for the first like seven years of my career. And that was when I was working as a consultant. That's when I was working at an early stage startup. That's when I was running my blockchain innovation lab. And I got very burnt out at the end of that. And I realized that I am somebody that needs to be doing multiple things that rejuvenate and focus on creating expansion for different aspects of me. And I think that's something that in the past would have been looked down upon. And I think now we're finally getting to a point where that's celebrated, that we are multifaceted people doing the same thing a million times might actually be more detrimental than provide the success we think we are going to get from somebody that is doing the same thing again and again. And so that being said, right now I am running a fresh sip, which is a non-alcoholic marketplace. And me and my co-founder we had a, of a fresh sip, we had a very open conversation at the beginning and we've allowed that conversation to shift over time saying, what do we want out of this? And so the structure of my day, and I know this is a long-winded answer, but the structure of my day is very much 
dependent on what the goals are for that week. Every morning or every night, I look at what are the key tasks that need to be done for each of the different facets of my life. Maybe that's a fresh sip. Maybe that's something personal I have going on. And I allow myself about like three to five things within each bucket. Anything more than that feels overwhelming. And from there, I kind of go and tackle that approach. Obviously, we have stand-in meetings, but I also bucket the time where I am allowing people to block time off my calendar. I generally take meetings in the afternoon. I might do a check-in with the team in the morning, but outside of that, the morning is where I can get my focused energy. And so I really kind of structure my day around that. The other thing I will say is I have a pretty strong morning routine. Um, So I don't get up super early, but I try to get up between like 6 and 7.30, really broad. But I take about two hours to really set in. I don't use my phone. I meditate. I do a little bit of yoga. And I really use that time to ground. And I found that 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 anchors me enough to deal with the chaos that always ensues. I love that so much because I was as I was listening to you, I was like, yep, that's me. Check. That's me as well. That's me as well. That's me as well. It's incredible because like, I, I don't know how you feel about that, um, Aish, but I have never been someone that was able to structure their day in a way where it's like, okay, from 9 to 9.30, I do this. From 10 to 11, I do this. From 11 to 12, I do this. From 12.30 to 1.30, I do this. Like I kind of like go with the flow, similar to what you were just describing. Like, hey, I know that I need to get X, Y done by the end of this week, but maybe I don't feel like doing A, B, C right now. And I'd rather work on D, E, and F today and yeah. just like work on the other stuff the, the next day. So kind of going with my energy flow of of that day and um, loved what you mentioned about morning routine as well, because I think that's something really, really important. I did that at the beginning of the pandemic and that helped me really ground myself in the day and set myself up for success. So now I'm actively working on reestablishing that that morning routine now that I feel like I've settled into New York after the big move and whatnot. Because then when I go to bed, I don't dread waking up in the morning because there's actually something that I look forward to in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, the first hour, hour and a half, two hours, that time is just for me, for meditation, moving my body. I personally incorporated reading into my morning routine now. This is something I've been missing for such a long time. And even if it's just five pages every single morning, that's still something, right? That is you building credibility with yourself, which is just so, so magical and important. Um, I'd love to touch on a point that you were sharing earlier about energy shifting. And, and one of the things that I actually work with my coaching clients, especially the content creators and the solopreneurs, are you have to manage your energy well because you have to wear every single hat. And the, you know, frankly, and, and, I, and I love that, you know, your audience is women. As women, we harness our energy and we use our energy very different than men. So men actually follow more of a solar cycle in terms of how they operate and their energy levels. So every 24 hours, a man's energy resets. So they have the same amount of energy every day. Women, we're not like that. We actually follow the lunar calendar and our energy resets every 28 or so days. And so if we are expecting us to deliver the same amount of value every single day, we are setting ourselves up not only for failure and an unsustainable way of working, we're also setting ourselves up to be just really hard on ourselves and to have to carry around all this guilt. And so one of the first things that I do with, with my clients is very much, hey, let's not try to have these one week sprints because that's expecting that we have the same energy every week. Let's 
take a step back. Let's look at the month. What are your bigger outcomes that you want to do this month? And and also building in structurally for that flexibility. And you can do that a little less when you have bigger teams, but you also can delegate more, right? But when you are a solopreneur, you're a content creator, and you have, or you maybe have one or two employees, you are taking the lion's share of the work. And if your energy is not managed and your structures are not there to celebrate you as an individual rather than feel guilty that you're a woman and your schedule and your way of energy might be different, then it's so much more difficult. So I love what you're saying about just like honoring your energy. You're you're so on point there. I've actually been getting into the whole cycle tracking more over the past couple of months as well because I was embarking on my own fertility preservation journey. Mm-hmm. And so as, as, as a part of that, I just started learning so much more about the cis female body. And it's crazy that we don't learn any of these things in school, right? Because yeah, the world that we live in was, was built for the white cis middle-aged men, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like just over the past couple of months, I've learned so much about, about my own body and what gives me energy and what deprives me of energy. And to your point, I want to honor that a lot more moving forward. And like part of that is also, which you described earlier, trying to do less context switching. Uh, especially when you wear so many different hats. Like, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at that just yet because it's tough navigating a very consuming nine to five and like all the various things I, I do on the side as as well. And with you, you know, you have so many different things going on at the same time as well. But I think, you know, our brain is just like, you're, there's such an information overflow these days with social media and Netflix and emails being reachable 24-7 that I feel like our our brains sometimes are getting a little bit fried and then when we're switching from one task to another within 30 minutes it's really tough so that's something i've been trying to be more mindful of as well again easier said than done but i'm trying it's always a work in progress right like there are days that you do we cover everything on your checklist and there are days that nothing gets done but you know such is life (laughs) such is life yep 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 so i i would love to spend some more time talking about a fresh sip and i love that new term of sober curious, which kind of reminds me of the term crypto curious in, in, in the Web3 space, because um, I'd never heard of that one before. And, and to maybe help our listeners understand the difference between being sober and being sober curious, I'm, I'm quoting what you have written on your website. So sober is completely avoiding any alcohol intake. Sober curious is questioning your reasons behind drinking alcohol looking closer at your own patterns when drinking alcohol, assessing your relationship with it, and deciding what role you'd like it to play in your life, possibly exploring an extended period of time with it or cutting it out. And that really, really resonated with me because I've been cutting back on alcohol significantly over the past year and a half or so because I've come to realize that it doesn't really add a whole lot of value to my life anymore, especially since my body doesn't process my alcohol intake as well anymore as it used to in my early 20s. Um, But, you know, at the same time, I don't want to miss out on the opportunities to socialize with friends in a more casual environment. And unfortunately, the reality is that oftentimes it is alcohol and bars that create those spaces, right? Um, but I feel like luckily that is changing thanks to people like you, especially here in New York. I think at almost every single bar that I've gone to over the past couple of months, there's always been at least yeah. one or two um, 
alcohol-free drinks, and I'm not talking about just soda, soda but an actual spirit-free gin or tequila or vodka and like a really nice mix of different flavors. Um, and, and you were alluding to that a little bit earlier that you're really good at spotting these, these early trends. So very curious to hear from you, what is it like building a business on an emerging trend where you can actually help shape that trend? Oh, such a good question. And, and like, yeah, I, I loved everything that you just shared. Um, it is really exciting to see all of the changes in New York. I think one of the most exciting parts of this journey has been to be so early. We, we launched this in 2020. And so that was like mid 2020. The pandemic was still very, you know, very active. And, um, people were starting to question the relationship with alcohol, but the, the, vertical that the actual industry um, hadn't necessarily been there. And so seeing it from mid-2020 to where it is now in 2023, which is so wild to think that we've been running this for that long, it's just so incredible to see how normal it is, right? Like the term sober curious, as much as I wish that we could coin that, like that was us that coined it, it wasn't us, but we definitely celebrated that term because I think it gave people permission. Mm. And I think a lot of us millennials, we grew up in a generation where alcohol was the cool thing, where to go socialize, to be, to be a part of a network, to be a part of a social friendship group, whatever it was, very much surrounded alcohol. And if you didn't or you weren't drinking, people questioned if it was a religious reason or if you were pregnant or you needed an excuse. It's the one drug where you need an excuse to say, hey, I'm not indulging versus, hey, I want to indulge. And so that, I think, is so, so wild. And um, as someone that definitely used to drink quite a bit of alcohol in my early 20s, and I, for health reasons, along with my co-founder, who, uh, like, about the same time frame, she also cut out alcohol for health reasons, we had to reestablish what it meant to socialize, to be in those situations, um, without alcohol. And this is before we had these amazing, beautiful cocktails. And so I remember one of the early days in 2019, 20, yeah, I think it was 2019 when I cut out alcohol, I brought a kombucha in my purse and I would take like whatever glass I had and I would pour it. Like I was sneaking into a club, like I was 21, putting an alcohol in my drink. And so it was just so funny. Um, where you're almost trying to normalize it. But then I really quickly realized, no, like you've got to embrace that. Hey, no, I'm not a big drinker. Hey, no, I'm not drinking. Whatever your reason is, there is no need to have to give an explanation. The no should be sufficient. And I think, especially in a city like New York, where alcohol is very much front and center, I think the change has been so welcomed and so beautiful. And the way Bile and I, Bile, my co-founder, when we came into the space, we launched with a very small community on social media. And the reason we did that was we wanted to talk to the folks that were similar to us and ask them what they were struggling with, right? Whether they were sober, whether they wanted to be sober or sober curious, or whether they were people like us that had um, kind of changed their relationship with alcohol. And um, we got such incredible feedback from that community. And I think this is my startup brain that says, test before you build, right? Like, see if there's an appetite. And so there was just this I feel seen moment from our audience. And 
I think that was the turning point where we were like, wow, there is really something here. And so we continued to build out that community. We started talking to a lot of the incredible brands that at that time were in, um, were just very much in formulation. And we built so many incredible relationships and partnerships with, I think now we have about 70 plus brands that we carry and over 300 products that we sell nationwide. And we even decided against formulating our own beverage because we're not formulators, but what we can do is aggregate um, what makes sense and serve it and deliver it in a way that's valuable for our community. And so we said, hey, it's not just, is this alcohol free? We want it to taste good. We want people that are gluten-free to find what they're looking for, pregnant-friendly. Not everything is pregnant-friendly. And so there's so many different filters that we wanted to embed when we built out our platform. And so we launched that platform in, in 2021. And with that, we've been seeing the industry change. Press has been crazy this year in terms of all, everything happening in the non-elk space. Um, we, in the past year, we did a partnership with South by, with Netflix, with New York Fashion Week. And so these are not small groups. These are big companies and organizations that are embracing this trend. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, but I think there's going to be more players and more ways to serve this ever-growing community. And I read an article the other day that said alcohol is what cigarettes was to our generation. And so to me, I was like, cool. That like really hit. And I was like, whoa, that is a very strong statement to come out. First of all, congratulations. That's so, so impressive that you were able to scale your venture in, in a relatively short mm -hmm. period of time, being able to partner with South by arguably the biggest tech conference in the world, right? Um, mm -hmm. That is happening in Austin every single year. Netflix, New York Fashion Week. Like, th that's just so, <laughs> so incredible, you know, especially for, for an early stage company and just as a testament to the fact that you can create those opportunities for yourself when you spot those emerging trends early on and you you take a leap of faith and and go after it with with poise right because if you had waited yeah. let's say like another two three four five years that ship would have sailed right but yeah. you were you were so bold to be like no i don't see this going away i can actually see by having had all of these conversations with our incredibly engaging community that this resonates with people and that there's so much shame in our society around people who decline to to drink when you're mentioning the pregnancy thing i had to smile briefly because i'm dating a mexican and we were um with his family in mexico a couple of months ago for his grandparents 60th wedding anniversary which, which was beautiful but um they have a very, very heavy drinking culture there. And so I, I declined to drink and they were like, oh, are you pregnant? I was just like, oh my goodness, like people, come on. It was just a choice. So sometimes you really feel like pressured into, into drinking and that's just not what it should be, right? I, for me, another reason why I decided to, to significantly reduce, now I didn't stop 100%, but when I do drink, I'm very, very mindful about it, like having a really good high quality glass of wine with a good meal but the intention is not to get shit-faced anymore the way it was like back in my college days right and so yeah. i going back to like the biohacking thing like i don't know if you're familiar with the aura ring but i've had this for quite some time i think since yeah since 2019 so i'm an early adopter and you know nowadays when i drink alcohol i i cannot 
lie to this thing. Like, you know, it gives you like a readiness and a sleep score every mm -hmm. single day. And um, sometimes I can get away with like a small glass of wine. But as mm -hmm. soon as I hit the second drink, the next day, sleep quality significantly decreased. Overall readiness score really, really low as well from originally like 80s, 90s down to like the 50s and 60s. It takes a couple of days for for my readiness and my sleep quality to recover. And then I'm like, is it really worth it for me to 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 feel shitty and not be at my mm -hmm. at my physical best for like half a week or a week? Um so yeah, I mean, I think we could we could talk about this for hours as well. This could be like a whole separate episode just talking about the choice to limit or or stop consuming alcohol altogether. But I sh I would love to talk a little bit more about how you got your business off the ground from like a financial perspective. Did you bootstrap? Did you did you have angel investors? Did you raise a seed round, Series A? What have you done to fund a fresh SIP? And what are your plans to further scale the platform? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's a question that we have thought so long and hard about to figure out. And um, I think when people think startup, especially like having lived in Silicon Valley in New York and all these places where if you don't raise capital, it's not a real business. Like that's the mentality, right? And it's like, if you don't raise capital from these certain people, then it's not a business. And so I've been on the, I've like been in the angel, like, you know, space, I've been on the other side. And so one thing I realized, and we did raise some money uh, for my blockchain company, I realized all of the little, all of the pieces that re were required and all of the things that I had to give up and sacrifice to be able to, you know, really to deliver value in a way that would be good for investors and for the business to scale in that time frame and in that way. And um, one of the things that Bile and I really talked about early on is like, what do we want out of this venture? Um, do we want this to be a hobby? Do we want this to be a side project? Do we want this to be a small business? Do we want this to be a scalable startup? And um, one of the things we also realized is that answer can change, right? Over time, as as our business grows, that can change as well. Um, and so we wanted to be very thoughtful. And so we launched with a community because we wanted to understand what the market appetite looked like, kind of make a couple of predictions. And from there, we, we took a very slow and steady approach. Um, we were one of the first people to enter this space uh, that was not a pure non-alcoholic beverage. That being said, there have been people that have entered after us who have now scaled much bigger than us. And we are completely okay with that. We have great relationships with them. But for us, we wanted to maintain a sense of life. Like our lifestyle was very important to us. And um, I want to have the time to do my one to two hour routine in the morning. And um, I want the ability to play in other spaces. As I said earlier, I love exploring emerging trends. But though there are a lot of different trends, right? And so I want to give the value that I need to build a business that makes sense for me, that makes sense for our team. Um, and so the way we approached it was very much that slow and steady approach. We bootstrapped everything. We decided not to take venture capital. Um, and we've gone back and forth at every key point, right? Every key mile. So really, do we take capital now? Do we raise? We've had a lot of investors ask and say, hey, we would love to support you. And we've kind of said first, like, you know, we're not ready. And now we're kind of like, you know what? 
we're still not ready or we're not sure if we're going to ever be ready for that. We're even at a pivotal point right now where we're kind of shifting gears in that business um, to serve the community in a more expansive way because the industry, as you know, just is changing so quickly. But even with that, like for us, it was very much let's just let's just take it slow. Let's do this right. Let's understand all the moving pieces. And then as we make revenue, let's hire in. And so the way we've built it is, you know, we don't house all of our fulfillment. We have a fulfillment partner. We've taken it in a way where we've been able to automate a lot of the processes. And right now we're in another phase of automation where we hope we can automate even more so we can start to expand different aspects of it. Um, And so we really want to be good at one to two things in this space, not good at everything. And so that's the approach we've taken now. If we have this conversation in a year from now, I might change my opinion on that, but I'm also okay with that. I think this is a very like evolving process. We did um, get a couple of grants and so that did help us with our initial funding. Um, But I think really it's been just more of like a labor of love for the both of us. Well, first of all, I commend you for being so introspective as well and be like, no, I don't want to spend 24-7 on this. To your point earlier, everyone deserves to be a multifaceted individual. And I think it's so valuable that you and your co-founder had that conversation early on, agreeing on setting those boundaries and allowing it to grow more organically and yes sure priorities can can always change you never know maybe there's an incredibly exciting opportunity for a venture partner coming in in a couple of months or a couple of years and you feel like there's a natural alignment there so i think it's important to to your point to always keep your options open but i do think it's it's just as important to take a step back and reflect on what's right for you and raising VC money is not the right step for for every single entrepreneur. Oftentimes, people get nervous about admitting that they want to do multiple things, right? Because there is definitely this this feeling that, oh, investors won't invest in me unless I'm 1000% invested to this business. And I do, I see that value because investors are looking at a time too. They're looking at how quickly you can get that ROI. But I think from a sustainability perspective, at least internally, um, for for me and for our team, it's been very important to be able to like to to build this in a way that allows us to feel joyful about the journey and not just focus on the end outcome. And um, I think the proof is in the pudding that you can do that and you can do other things and still secure large deals and still you know create a name for yourself in an industry while doing other things. And I really want to debunk that myth and show people that it can be done. Love that. This show is all about debunking myths and challenging the status quo and doing what feels most aligned with each and every one of us. So thank you for for being a role model in this space as well. Um, And since we're already on the topic of investing, angel, VC, and all of that good stuff, a big focus of the show is to close those knowledge and access gaps around the world of VC, angel investing uh, in general, so we can unlock that collective power of female investors who might not be high net worth individuals, or at least not yet, um, but can still have a collective impact by investing in female and minority founders. And you're mentioning that a couple of times throughout our conversation. Now, Aisha, you're not only an entrepreneur, you also have lots of experience as an investor yourself. Can you talk about what being a venture partner 
entails and how someone can become a venture partner in a venture fund? Yeah, absolutely. I do want to preface that I haven't actively invested in uh, multiple years at this point. So that was part of my earlier career a lot more actively than it is a part of my current career, but can definitely provide some insight into it. So I've been a part of 37 Angels as an angel, and I've also been a venture partner for Next Gen Ventures. And so both of those platforms are very much, or those funds are very much an ecosystem where deal flow gets passed through. We get high quality deals where you can kind of evaluate due diligence and really understand, you know, what the industries are. See also from other people that have been maybe more seasoned investors on why they're turning down certain companies and what they're looking for with other companies. And I think both of those things can be really valuable. The reason I actually got involved in the venture space is actually a really interesting story. I was the first employee for an ed tech startup uh, back in the 2014 or 2015, like a while ago. Since I was the first employee, I was a solo founder. He was in the process of raising his next round of, of venture capital. And um, I had accompanied him and kind of was helping him create the investor material, start pitching to the different VCs and investors. And two things happen. One, I noticed very quickly that me not being a founder, but being just kind of there, there was a lot of time where even though I was the person that created the investor material, I barely got to speak in a lot of those situations. People thought I was like the secretary or the note taker. And so I realized very quickly, hey, I have to say something of value. So people are like, you could see body language change where, you know, you had to kind of show that you, you know what you're talking about. But the other piece that was very interesting was we got a lot of no's. We got so many no's from all these incredible VCs and angels that we were talking to. And I didn't understand why. And I am way too curious to not understand why. And so I actually networked my way into that angel fund. I was super young. I was in my like mid, mid 20s, not even probably. And um, I essentially was like, I really want to learn how to wear this investor hat because if I see how you guys are evaluating other companies and are doing diligence, then that will allow me to be able to bring that back to my startup that I'm a part of and help us raise better. What are we missing? What is not as clear? How can we tell that story better? The easiest way to get involved in venture is to be very curious. There are so many people with wealths of information and all it takes is for you to show genuine curiosity. And people can tell when you're, you know, being genuinely curious and you're just trying to kind of make them feel good. <laughs> That's such an interesting story. And thank you so much for being so vulnerable to, to share that story. And again, I commend you for, for making that decision to take up space in that room in those conversations because especially as someone who probably as you're pointing out was used to being the youngest person in most rooms that you were entering in the world of business I'm sure that was sometimes a little bit intimidating right but at the same time yeah. you felt like you have a voice and you deserve to be heard and you have good ideas and you 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 deserve to be recognized and credited for that do you have any advice for for younger folks, because the majority of our listeners are still in their 20s, some of them in their early mid-30s, but the majority of them haven't really been exposed to the world of venture and angel investing. But I know a lot of them are very curious to, to learn more about it. And again, that's one of the primary 
motivations for for this podcast to close those knowledge gaps any any recommendations for people who might not be as confident as you were at the time and who might need a little bit of a of, of a nudge to get started i would reiterate curiosity is number one right and think about the ways in which you can you know convey that curiosity and i think the second thing is showing that you've done research if there is an industry or a topic that you think you know really well or that you have a good hunch on, one way is to start creating content around it. We are in an age of like content, whether it's Twitter or Medium or TikToks. Start predicting, start saying, hey, I really think this is a company that you should be watching. And this is why. And like, I think people are in a very engaging manner. Be like, hey, like, these are some of my thoughts. Um, I would love your feedback in terms of am I approaching this the right way? And I think the reason why that will work is because it shows that you're already trying to put the investor hat on. I think that's why I got lucky as well is because I was trying to put that hat on. I was trying to understand why we weren't getting funded. And I think the same thing, if you try to understand which company is going to get funded, then people see you with that hat on. And if there's so many people that say, oh, I want to be in venture capital. I want to be an investor. I want to be an entrepreneur. But it takes work to be in any of those spaces. And so show people that you are willing to put in the work. To give you even more context, I offered the Angel Fund free work. That's actually how I initially talked to them is I applied to like a random internship that they were having. And it was an internship that they were mainly taking Columbia Business School students for. And I was, I think I was a 24 at the time, um, was working full time at this startup. And so the founder actually said, hey, I know that like you're amazing and like da 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 da, but we are probably going to give this internship to a Columbia Business School student because she just has, she or he has the time to be a part of this. You are part of a full time startup. And she said, but I love your hustle. I love your drive. We would love to just waive some of the big fees that I couldn't afford as a young 20 year old to be a part of this fund so you can learn and you can be around other people. And through that process, when I was ready, I was able to invest in my first company. And so I think opportunities come when you try and you're willing to just show up. Everything that you shared just goes to show that you're very, very intentional about everything. And so it's not that you got lucky, you deserve to be in those rooms. And when you radiate that energy and that drive and that genuine curiosity, People are impressed by that. So you earned to be in those rooms. You earned these opportunities to to learn and and absorb knowledge from more seasoned individuals in that space. So I just wanted to point that out there. Whew. I um I really appreciate that. I think, you know, as a recovering perfectionist, it's easy to say, oh, look, I got lucky it has happened. But um, thank you. Look. If anyone can relate to the recovering perfectionism, <laughs> it's me. You know, I had to learn the hard way. Done is better than perfect. But it's always easier to be a hype woman for other women than for yourself. So <laughs> I, I, I totally get that. Well, look, Aish, this has been an incredible conversation. I have one final question for you. Because I don't only like to always start out with the same question, but I also like to close with the same question for each of my guests. If I gave you a million dollars to invest in either a company or a cause that would benefit women, where would you invest that money? 
So you actually shared this question with me beforehand, and I thought about it for quite some time. And I will tell you what I would want the money to go for. I don't actually know exactly who, or even if there is an organization that is really much just focused on this, is I think when it comes to research, especially health and well-being, and also like mental health and psychology, a lot of the research is very much done by men with men as a focus. And so I think that we're missing out on so many just pieces in terms of research. And so I would love to see more research that are much more unbiased or maybe just catered towards women only and get more, whether it's sexual health information, uh, hormonal health information. There are just so much information in the health and well-being space that we don't know. We're far from equality and we're far from equity. But at the same time, men and women are different. And so I think the research needs to be done separately for both for us to be able to shine our gifts in the most positive way possible. I love that answer so, so much because as someone who actually suffers from a chronic illness that is severely under-researched, underfunded, you know, all the unders, um, but that 10% of all women worldwide suffer from, this is very dear to my heart, you know, my own fertility challenges that I've encountered. So hearing that makes me really, really happy. And there actually is a nonprofit that I've come across uh, fairly recently called the Meiji Women's Research Institute and Foundation. They do exactly that. They're a nonprofit wow. that is dedicated to ensuring that there is going to be more more cis women included in future clinical trials and to raise awareness for for female biology and women's reproductive health and all of that good stuff. So there is work that is being done in the space, not nearly enough, but I just hope we're getting there. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that. I'm going to have to check them out. Yes, definitely. I'll, I'll send you the link. Um, but look, Aish, thank you so, so much for your time today. Again, this was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you for showing up as your most authentic self. Again, your energy is just on point, And I feel like this will be so rejuvenating for a lot of our listeners. So um, thank you for all the work that you do and for being such an incredible role model. Thank you so much, Tamina. And like, thank you for just the way that you held space today and asked questions. I had such an incredible time and I cannot believe it's been almost an hour. <laughs> crazy. Thank you so much, Aish. <laughs> Hey there, not so fast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened in from today. Reviews are a podcaster's most important currency. It helps me create visibility for the incredible women who join me on this show. And if you've made it this far, I'd like to believe that supporting women is one of your favorite pastimes. If you already left a review, first of all, thank you, but why not share this episode with a friend or post it to your Instagram story? Thank you for helping me on my mission to make women rich by making women rich.